Welcome back to the Sport Media and Tech Podcast. I'm Keel Blake. On this episode, Dr. Jeff Porter, Mark Hotchkin, and I spend time with Gregory Gittinger of VR Motion Training and Christian Barsante of Rezl. Learn about the technology, the data, and the practical uses. Stay tuned. So I'm the founder of VR Motion Learning, as you said. And what we're doing is we're bringing tennis into the digital age, which means you put your VR headsets on, you are in virtual reality, and you are virtually on a tennis court. And now you play tennis as you would play on the real court with all the realistic ball physics, all the right motions. And now you can play um, against the ball machine. You can play a thousand times exactly the same ball and the same speed and the same spin. You can, you can learn your, your forehand uh, in, a, in, a, in an optimal way. You can play online. Um, we could play now tennis with each other. Um, um, you're sitting in the US, I'm sitting in Vienna, Austria. We can play tennis now. Um, we can, we're going to organize um, um, tournaments. We're going to have the Super League um, starting in 50 countries end of the year. And last but not least, uh, we're developing a similarity modeling so that you can compare your forehand with the forehand of Dominic Team or, or someone else to get your technique in an optimal way. So that's what we're doing. So Greg, let, let, me, let me ask you just a follow-up question. So how did this start, right? I, I want to know, now we can, you have a Super League coming up at the end of the year. We can virtually play tennis, which is really, really exciting for people like us who are really nerds about VR and, and, and AR. How did that start? Well, it started three years ago. I had this idea saying, you know, tennis is still in the 70s, where's all the technology? And it was just missing. So, so the, I, the, the question was, how can you do it? And what kind of technology you need to do to, 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 to get this done? And, and it all started with a, a project with the Technical University of Vienna, a scientific project, you know, getting the, the high tech together, the pieces you need to, to get this done. Um, and so it developed from step to step until we finally um, um, founded a company one and a half years ago and get it done. I just, I love that story. I, I really do. As being a university guy, just, I'm just a nerd for it. Uh, Chris, uh, welcome to the podcast. Well, let's uh, give our viewers your introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah. Uh, name's Christian Barsanti, and I run operations for Brazil in uh, the United States, Central South America, and Canada. So really North America as well. Um, yeah, we're, uh, we, we have a virtual reality sports technology, technology company that simulates soccer at the moment, but we're also getting into other sports. Um, and it is designed for cognitive drills, for match analysis, for rehab. So we're, we're building an ecosystem, if you will, of technology products that can help support athletes out there that train the brain, help them get back onto whether it's the court or the pitch the field, whatever it is, and also really get um, good analytics using uh, AI as well as um, video tracking, uh, match analysis stuff. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we've created a nice little suite of products, if you will. 
So, Chris, before we went live or went, yeah, went on the air, you said that you had a background in finance. Yeah. That's so how true. did you get involved in Roselle and take us through a little bit of that story? Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. So I've been I've been in finance for 25 years. Uh, and then I connected with a, actually a friend of mine for the last 20 years, but I hadn't seen in 10. And he ends, he's my business partner, Brendan O'Shea. Brendan's a really successful entrepreneur. And we happen to come across each other at a soccer training place. And because we're both soccer dads. And we just started talking about the the state of the game in this particular game. And I, I never grew up playing soccer and Brendan never grew up playing soccer. I was playing American football, baseball, those sorts of things, right? So, and we were amazed at some of the coaches that were coming that were really, really young. And were they giving the sufficient feedback to our kids? Were they helping them improve? Were they getting better, right? And Brendan has a background also in technology with some of his entrepreneurial stuff. And we just started talking about data and about being able to support what these coaches are telling us. And it, it was very, very interesting. You know, we're like, you know what, there's got to be data transparency. And then there's got to be a better way. And how can we infuse technology into, we're, uh, into sports and being able to um, say, hey, yes, you know, little Susie needs to work on her accuracy or something like that. So anyways, long story and I'm making even longer, but really <laughs> what, uh, what we did is we started doing research, Brendan and myself, and we had another individual as well, but we really started doing uh, research and we came upon these guys, uh, the creators of Brazil in England, Andy, Gareth, and uh, Adam great guys. They had developed a virtual reality system. We went, we saw it and we're like, wow, this is amazing. And from then on, we've been with them. That's a great, uh, really interesting kind of background to hear. And um, I guess as we talk about virtual reality, you know, it's something that's been in the, in the public consciousness for a while. And, you know, as we, we start 2021, I'm just kind of curious for, for both your opinions. Where are we today with uh, with virtual reality? What's the state of the uh, of the technology of the usage? And feel free to to give some examples of how it's uh, impacted your both your organizations. Where the biggest hurdle is, and I'm, I'm I'm certainly talking for the whole VR industry, is that in order to do VR, you still need a strong computer, a gaming computer with a graphic card and the VR headsets. And you're talking easily, you know, if you have a good setup of three, four thousand dollars, and that is a big hurdle for 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 VR. And I would say, as long as the hardware costs do not come down like below a thousand dollars altogether, it's not going to be so so strongly penetrated as it could be. So the, the, the real question is, you know, where are all the killer applications which is going to drive the VR, which makes somebody, you know, invest that kind of money into the hardware. So that I think that's the biggest hurdle of, hard, of, of VR. But you can see that the penetration is climbing like hell. You know, it's, we're, we're coming from 1.29% penetration to 2.5% penetration within one year. That's amazing. And just to echo, you know, what Greg is saying, the cost is definitely um, 
it's a factor. And so you have to realize what your target audience is for the um, for this type of equipment, right? And if you're working with youth developer, uh, youth markets, as well as professionals, then you have to adjust your sales strategy and you have to, and your marketing strategy, and you have to really zero in who, who can get that, who can afford those, those costs up front? And is there a better way to kind of sell it? Um, I do think VR, we're, we're kind of in the, I don't want to say beginning, you know, right? Because VR has been around for a little bit. We're kind of in that middle stage right now where you, there are some fantastic products like the Oculus Quest 2 and some others where you can get really, really great stuff that won't cost as much, but you're not going to get the full experience like what we have or probably what Greg has, you know, um, as well. But it's, it's, it's great. I do think the industry is going to grow leaps and bounds because if you just look at the esport industry, and I, I heard a fact the other day that esports they're thinking is going to be bigger if it isn't already than the music and the movie industry together, you know. And so if we piggyback, you know, using VR and, and kind of think about how that's going to be uh, integrated with esports as well, probably, you know, coming out soon and uh, I, I, I think there's tremendous, tremendous growth in this industry. But yeah, back to Greg's point, the cost is there. I think when you start seeing things like 5G um, coming out from more commercial, that hopefully will help, you know, because the bandwidth is bigger, but the, you know, you really do need a good computer. Really, it comes down to right now you need a good computer. So, you know, something we wanted to talk to you about is how does VR help athletes train you know right now i mentioned that i'm i'm you know a little under the weather as you can hear my voice and i play tennis gregory i played since i was a little kid so that's something that you know i'm missing right now that i'm a little under the weather so how does vr help your athletes train especially in a covid world well there are two ways the one is the, the serious part the training part the technique part uh, the mental part, the mental training, and the other one is the, the fun part, the, the, the gaming, the, the, the matching, the, uh, um, you know, to play tournaments, all that stuff. So the, on, the, on the serious part, it's amazing because VR can give you feedback data, which you would never get in real life. So with every stroke I do um, in, 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 in our VR game, I have the velocity of the, of the ball, I have the spin, I have the trajectory, I can show where I hit where I hit the ball on the on the on, on the racket. Um, I can show you if my shoulders are okay, if if, if my if my timing is okay. It's amazing what kind of data they have. And you have it stroke by stroke. So you can session by session, training session by session, training session, you can see how you improve and where the gaps are to the ideal technique. So that's that's amazing. It's it, it is really a game changer on the on the on the training side. Um, uh, on the entertainment side is you know it's great you know in COVID times where can you play out of your living room um, tennis with somebody else sitting in New York, Rio de Janeiro, or Paris? How can you do that? You know, right now you only can shoot aliens, um, and you can you know you know do bala bala things, but a real virtual sport you know like tennis it's it's amazing. 
Yeah, uh, it is. It's 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 unbelievable, you know. And that, that will, I have a lot of the same thoughts as as Greg does as well. I mean, we, you know. So, Keel, back to your point. Um, our system was originally designed with the guys in Manchester to rehab players that were making, you know, millions and millions of dollars, but they'd go and blow out an ACL or they'd hurt their ankle or something like that. So our guys created a system that, and it was, it was two part originally. One was rehabbing these athletes and the other was kind of a fan engagement, similar to kind of what Greg was saying. So, um, but back to the, the rehab where there were studies done that if a player wasn't on the pitch, that they were losing some sort of cognitive ability on the field. So, you know, whether it was their timing or how many times they were glancing over their shoulders or their accuracy on the shot, even if they're not on that field for, you know, a, a month, two months, four months, they were seeing, you know, a, a, a decline in that ability. So what was great about the system was they, they could put the athletes in the system and get them cognitively working on those skills, but really no load on their legs. Let's say it was an ACL or a knee injury, right? No load. So they were able to kind of just go through the motion of kicking the ball without really hitting the ball, looking over the shoulder, working on their accuracy and really helping them return to the field quicker. So that was how the um, they originally designed it. And then it just kind of took off from there, you know, where we started adding more and more cognitive drills, more analytical tools and those sorts of things. And then back to Greg's point, uh, it is very, very immersive. It's very fun. You can start playing now uh, competitively with people all over the place. And it it's just really adds an element now that you just don't have shooting aliens, as, as you said, you know. As a... Uh... Recovering video game, uh, video gamer. I love that example of shooting aliens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the reasons why I love this conversation is because one thing I left, about, left out about my background is I happened to compete at two Olympic games uh, for Team USA and the men's 110 hurdles. So when we're talking about the ability to use this technology to help athletes, A, train better, B, continue to stay healthy, and C, perform better right? The training leads to the performance is what the ultimate goal is. It gets me excited because I think the scalability of this across the industry of sport in general, not just uh, tennis or, you know, golf seems like the next logical step, uh, but some of the other sports where you can use some of the um, uh, motion capturing to be able to, to A, analyze your opponent, B, analyze yourself and have you compete against yourself, whether in the real space or in the digital space. So Greg, the first question for you is, how do you see the scalability of this technology going forward? And because the other piece of the puzzle is, right, it's, it's expensive right now, right? So what do you think the next step is for, for this technology? And, and Chris, I'd love to hear your answer on that as well. The opportunities, opportunities and the possibilities are unlimited. Um, for example, I can now, you know, enter uh, the US Open finals and I walk into the stadium and there are thousands of spectators yelling at me and saying, you know, hey, Gregory, you know, welcome to the final. And the stadium speaker announces your name and you're you are playing there virtually against Roger Federer. Um, show me that in real life, how it's that possible. So it, it, 
it, it, it blows my mind if I do that in, in, in VR and it gives you a, a feeling which you can never have in, in real life. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, so, so things like that are gonna drive the, the, the VR penetration because it's just unbelievable what you can do. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, Greg, is, is being able to really get that feeling. Um, as a matter of fact, taking it a step further, you can go in and play that game as if you were one of those athletes now in VR. In our analytics tool, you can go in and pretend you're Mbappe, not even pretending, you are Mbappe in an actual game going up and scoring a goal. And you can go in and be him in that game or Messi or Ronaldo or any of these guys, as long as it's properly video tracked, you get it in and it's all data, right? We want to make sure that that data is, is good data. And, and as long as it gets into the system, the analytics are, it's unbelievable what we can do now. But, you know, so back with that video tracking, motion capture, those sorts of things. I mean, the guys in England are, are, are amazing with it. To make it scalable, that's, that's an interesting question. And that's what we work on, you know, here in the States is how can I get this technology to the masses and to the youth development. And we, we think, you know, it's, we try to, not even we think, we work with a lot of the youth clubs and come up with a model where we say, okay, we'll bring the equipment or we'll have individuals maybe that bring that equipment that we've made the initial purchase, but we try to get as many kids then in training sessions through and doing whether it's a five or a 10 minute training session or a 30 minute training session in the system. And so I think right now that's, if, if you're gonna use this high-end stuff, that's how we're going about doing it. We wanna be able to get it out to the masses because it's such great technology. Um, so we try to develop and we are developing a good network of representatives around the country that have um, the equipment and that can go and visit these clubs a couple times a month or a couple times during the season, whatever they prefer, right? They may want to benchmark their players and say, okay, you know, at the beginning of the season, they were, you know, such an, you know, they had a particular score for an accuracy, you know, how are they in the middle of the season? And then how are they at the end of the season? And we're able to develop training plans then, or the coaches are able to really develop training plans off of that, you know, off of the data that they're getting. And, and like Greg had mentioned earlier, it, it, it's, there's tremendous amount of data that is coming out and you can get, so we create little scorecards and stuff like that. I think further on down, you're going to start seeing some of this technology like that we have in a more gamified version in, you know, whether it's PlayStation VR or Oculus Quest 2, it won't be as technical perhaps, but it'll be more gamified. And that's where then you get into the scalable consumer market as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. You know, one of the things we wanted to ask is we're going to talk about data here in just a moment and do a really deep dive on that. But yeah. Um, one thing before we get to data, let's talk about sensors. So right now in the marketplace, you see suits like that are going out. They're called Tesla suits or other things that are full body coverage with biometric, you know, sensors and and different readings and 
um, almost like behind Greg, you see all the data points of movement and the body motion. So what types of sensors are your companies using right now? Because I imagine as a tennis player, right, how I hold the racket has an impact on how I hit the ball, whether I'm holding a semi-Western grip, Western grip, an Eastern forehand. So could you share a little bit about how you're using sensors to track those different activities? Yes, we don't use any sensors at all. It's a markerless system. So basically we, we, we're working with camera systems. Um, and, and the reason is um, using sensors for tennis players is not really accurate because you know putting on a suit with sensors and you're sweating and you have to you want to run around and you want to you know want to play, it's not going to be realistic enough and it's too, it's not convenient. So we said no markers, no sensors, only camera technique. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the, the way we're going forward. So we use uh, trackers. So we don't have any suits or anything like that. We use uh, trackers that we then, uh, you can use a track belt or a clip and we clip it on your feet. Um, or, and then we also have for our rehab component, we have trackers that you can clip on various parts of your body as well. So we do use trackers, but it's not a bodysuit. And, um, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's what we're using right now at the moment. And the trackers, by the way, the trackers then go to the headset so that, and so you're able to see, and, it, and, it, and it's, we find it very accurate. Yeah, that's great. Um, I want to circle back to what uh, Keel mentioned about uh, about data, and and obviously that's, you know, it's a buzzword in, in our industry, but it's also a huge consideration when it comes to things like virtual reality. And I'm kind of curious, at least, I mean, it's obviously a complex topic, but curious what the factors are, how you can, um, you know, everybody wants wants data, but sometimes the actually pulling out the right insights and 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 contextualizing the data is really the the big the big winner. So kind of curious on how you both in your organizations uh, take that into account, act on the data and then manage the data. We are very strict on the data because, because of the legislation. There's a very strict le legislation in Europe on, on data. And what we are collecting is not only the, 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 the normal data which you, which you collect, it's all the motion data. So with all the motion data, I can identify any person. It's like a fingerprint. Um, so we are very careful with data um, 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 in that sense. To Greg's point as well, depend, um, if we're working with professional teams, we don't share the data, you know, but how we go, uh, and then if we have clubs or youth players, we don't share that data only with the player and the club as long as we have, in, as long as we have permission, right? Um, but what we do is we're, we're able to talk we're we're able to take the data and we can measure a, a person how many times and i'm, I'm going to use our, our core index as an example right now where we have um we can we can talk to a person's accuracy a person's composure and what we do is we have drills that are designed to measure that and then what we do and then our guys then or excuse me, not our guys, the system will then translate that information into numerical values for us. So it's algorithm based. And what'll happen is we have an index score really. So we'll put them through five, five drills that are designed to measure adaptability, which is using your left foot or your right foot, composure, which is really if you're under pressure, um, um, accuracy, 
and um, reaction time, speed, right? And how quickly you can go left or right. So we have five drills that are designed to do that. Now, each one of those drills is scored in a different method, right? Um, I'm sorry, each one of those drill, uh, we have five drills and they are scored independently rather. And then those scores are then combined and created an overall index. From that index, you can really look at a player's level. So you can say, all right, if a player's in the 40s, low 50s, they're probably a, and it's from zero to 100, by the way. So if um, a player scores like in the 40s, maybe lower 50s, they're beginning becoming an, an academy level player. Then we can look at from the level kind of the mid 50s into the mid 60s. And we can say, all right, these guys are academy and approaching pro level ability, right? And then we look at anything probably mid 60s, probably lower 70s and above. They're probably now a professional player based on the data that is coming out. What we do is we look at um, dwell time. We look at how many times they go to their left foot instead of their right. We're looking at really the correct decisions that these people make based um, on the on the quantity that comes to them, if you will, or the 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 if balls are coming at you and you're getting 15 balls, how many correct decisions did you make with those 15 balls? Oh, you made 12 correct decisions. That's great. Now, did and how long did it take for you to make those correct decisions? Right. So then we talk about dwell time, and then we talk because that also has composure um implications as well so anyways our system is able to really gather all this data and then really put it into a format that is pretty easy and pretty readable for our um our clients so we have you can export the data into an excel you can also we have report cards if you will or scorecards we call them and we make nice little graphs and we have a great portal so those sorts of things I love this conversation because uh, it helps me see where the industry is going next, or at least get a glimpse into the to the to the future. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, kind of taking ourselves out of the data, out of the kind of weeds a little bit. So, what are can you guys talk about some examples of competitions you've hosted or the athletes you've worked with using your system? I think that we start getting to what the audience might be interested in. If if a professional tennis player knows he's going to play a certain guy in the next round. In our system, he can mentally play that person the day before. And, and we will have that guy in exactly his pattern with the exact with the with a with the ball speed, with the spin, with his weaknesses, his strengths. And we even have stored where where's the surf gonna come if it's if it's a tie break, if it's if it's a if it's a uh, uh, if it's uh, an important ball or not important ball, you know. Um, so you mentally play somebody before, and that helps tremendously the the player. So there's a lot of advantages of of uh, mentally preparing um, to a game. And, and Greg, a quick follow up too. Before we started recording, uh, one of the topics you also mentioned when it comes to kind of what your company is doing is something called a super leagues. So can you talk a little bit about that? Well, the Super League is a is basically a championship, um, a worldwide championship where um, every country will have its own champion, 
Um, and for example, in America, the American champion will play the America's Cup and, and whoever wins the America's Cup will play in the World Cup. So it's basically something like um, in, in, in soccer um, or, or in any other real league, um, it's just the difference is it's an, it's an online, it's an e-sport and it's not, um, uh, it's not real sports, it's virtual sports, but that's what's coming um, by the end of the year. We're, we're working with a lot of professional teams right now um, in the Premier League, as an example, Manchester United, Manchester City, um, a few of those, you know, for the top for the top six right now that are out there we're working with. So, um, you know, I can't divulge into all the, you know, all the individuals on that team that are using it and stuff, but our, like our analytics tool is is being used actually in the in the MLS as well. Um, so which is good and we're and we're looking to, to grow that part, if you will. So if you're talking about that sort of competition, it's those players, those professional teams that are using it. And then um, yeah, and then we're also penetrating the youth market for kind of the drill or the cognitive uh, component of the product as well. Um, and then to what Greg was saying, yeah, the, the, we've, we've hosted tournaments just for, for the kids uh, by where I live in, in Northern Jersey, where they're doing one of the drills and they become so immersed. It's, it's fantastic to watch them to go and, and do this. Um, and then we are working with a couple of other companies right now that we are looking to do Brazil competitions you know, where people are going to go in and be able to spend 20 minutes and who gets the highest index score. Um, and then being able to offer, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, prizes or, 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 you know, competition giveaways, those, those sorts of things. So, yeah, we're just getting into that as well. Touched on it earlier, but, you know, with the rise of esports and where that industry is going, um, curious both your, your opinions on kind of what that dynamic between, VR and, and esports is today, um, and then kind of what you think it could be, um, where it's heading, um, how those those two spaces will continue to interact. Well, esports today is they, they call it esports, but basically it's gaming, uh, it's computer games, Fortnite and whatsoever. You know, it's not real sports. So what we are doing is actually. A, a simulation sport, uh, a virtual sport, a real sport, um, bringing that into the into the digital um, era. So it's it's uh, it's hard to to put the the real sport into e-sports because it's it's the the word is the same, but the the content is completely different. But but where the parallels are are the business mechanics. For example, you know our Super League, which is which is going to start, has very much parallels with the esports leagues which are out there. So that's where things get together. You know, prize money, competitions, live events, promotions, broadcasting. You know, all the marketing around it, spectators, streaming. You know, just just call it. Um, um, that that all comes together. But the difference is that what what we're doing is 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 a real virtual sport. Um, versus um, just shooting aliens. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I see a lot of what Greg Greg's saying exactly. Um, it's I, and maybe another way to to just add to it is we're blending now the electronic component, but creating a sport out of it, right? And and doing that simulation where now um, you have people that are kicking a ball, a virtual ball, it's electronic, it's, it's simulated, it's computer generated. Well, that's great, but you're, you're now kicking, you're, you're taking, you're doing physical activity to achieve a, a positive outcome, a winning a competitive outcome, right? So the, thus the sport component there as well, or the word. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, I think. And that's where I think it is in the future, Mark, to your, uh, to your point, you know, moving forward, it's it's a branch of esport, or, a, or a, you know, it's another component of that where it's okay. You can go in and, it, but it's it's really sport, you know, <laughs> when it comes down to it. What's interesting about esports, um, if if you are playing Fortnite or something out, we we work with a great company, and they are able to do measure characteristics from how a person plays that eSport or that Fortnite or that FIFA game. And they can look at the characteristics. Does the kid get frustrated or does he make right decisions there? And then just kind of measure that as well. And then take that and combine it with what something that Brazil offers or what Greg offers, you know, and you can take that, that data as well and kind of get a really good picture of an athlete and their mental um, capabilities where they are at that current situation and where you can help them improve. So there's that component of esports that also helps as well if you blend it with what we're offering. And we appreciate both of your time and, and, and the time of our, uh, our team here. And um, we always end with one tradition and that's to ask you, what is your advice for our students? It could be in life, it could be in VR, it could be in, in where the industry is going. What advice do you have to share? Well. I want to come back to the scalability um, issue, um, and uh, you know, a car. If you, if you, a car is, is is it costs you you know ten thousand, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollars, and everyone has a car. So, for me, it's not a not a, a question um, if somebody can afford four thousand dollars or not. The question is, what is the need? You know how how important is what you get out of it to put the money in. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, I, I love what Resil is doing because um, if, if there are a lot of companies like, like Resil and, and, and us driving the VR, everyone will have the infrastructure at home in order to, to get all this um, training, games, education, um, experience, immersive things—you know, whatever it is. So, so that's why um, I think the scalability is going to come by itself, out of the applications and not out of just one game or whatever. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's that's an awesome point. Um, I, I, you know, I guess if I was to look back, one of the biggest things I would say to, to you know, the students is really look into as, as they evolve and study, what are they getting themselves into and understand the market and understand what it is 
that they want to apply their learning or their craft to. And what I mean is, you know, working in finance for 25 years, I can give you great examples all day long about where people thought they were going to come out and be millionaires working in a compliance department, let's say, or working in a marketing department or something like that. Well, really get in and understand, well, what, what's involved in the marketing department? What do you do? Or what do you do in uh, the compliance department or an operations department? And is that going to lead me to my path of success that I want? And so it's really about going and making sure they're educating and understanding what they're getting themselves into. Um, maybe I'm getting more philosophical than what you wanted here, but I can tell you that's where, um, that's always been when I've worked with students coming out, it's just making sure that they really understand what they're getting themselves into and not in a negative or in a positive way. It's just, is this really what you want to be doing? And um, that, that that's always been sound advice, I think, that I've heard and I've, and I've tried to pass on. And that's a wrap. Join us next time to talk with Russell Mark from USA Swimming, where we discuss performance analysis.